Superstars of the World Wrestling Federation sent me into a state of unrest. And the creatures of the night that I vowed never to rest in peace brought me back for one reason and one reason only. That is to destroy you, Yokozuna, and take your soul to the dark side. Ding, ding, ding. Welcome to this episode of Just Fans Wrestling Podcast. Boom. And in the den, my tag team partners. It's me, the High Heels Gamer, or a.k.a. Cat, a.k.a. Catherine, a.k.a. Kathy. <laughs> Kat. And it's me on the flex, Splick Lager, a.k.a. Zach. And this is Lou, a.k.a. Puerto Rican Judo, and we're actually going to give you a very special episode today. It's going to be all tribute, all respect to the dead man, the Undertaker. Bow down, bitches. Word. I'm excited. (laughs) It has been buzzing all week that he's officially comfortable not returning back to the ring. I actually heard him say it himself watching the uh, Last Ride documentary, which was a fantastic piece of work. Yeah, yes, um, that we're going to talk about, and it's you know it it really it put a lot of things in perspective for me, and and we'll we'll talk about how and why it put a lot of things wrestling related in perspective for me. Just watching this and listening to the story of the one person who has been in character for thirty years, it was very eye opening, and even as just a fan very humbling to go through this experience it wasn't even his whole career like they covered all of his career Mm -hmm. but i feel like these last few years that they were doing this that he opened himself up to be this vulnerable knowing that it was coming to an end it was very humbling for me because nobody's ever really done that like people come to the ring when they retire and they do their little wave and Mm -hmm. they say the little phrase and, you know, it's kind of like, all right, we get it. Like when Rick, with Ric Flair, he didn't really say much, but you knew it was over. And, yeah. You know, he was crying when he got kicked in the face. And it, it was emotional. But this was something different. It was something much more special to me. Oh, yeah, because he won. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. So just, I guess, overall, just looking, first of all, at the documentary itself. We'll start there because that's really where a lot of the information is going to come from. What did you guys think of the product? Uh, I actually was very glad to see that it was done like a real documentary. Like it wasn't gimmicky. It wasn't um, satire. It was just him, his words, his comfortable surrounding. And then, you know, you had people talking like they should praising him and stuff like that so i think it was really well done like i was glad that it wasn't over the top or stupid it was like a a legit informal document 
informal informative, informative. <laughs> documentary um so i actually enjoyed it a lot more than i thought i was going to i think for me uh, i like a lot of different documentaries and it's like Kat said, I think that they did it really well. The presentation was really well done. And like you were saying earlier, Lou, they, they really focused more on the last probably six years of Undertaker's career. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing, you know, seeing him come to terms with the end is coming and how he dealt with it and how he rationalized each match that came after that whether or not he could do it or not it just gave me a new level of appreciation for what these guys do with their craft because i know i i've fallen off of a freaking trampoline before and it is that hurt like hell and i couldn't imagine doing that for 30 years right Uh, falling on concrete falling in the ring all the different types of jumps he's taken and the spills that he's taken even the one that they really accentuated in the documentary where he literally landed on his it looked like he landed on his head when he jumped over the rope yeah i remember that I, i remember it too and i thought he I thought he broke his neck the way he landed. So yeah, I thought the presentation was top notch and really well done and very informative. It really makes you appreciate uh, what he's done. You know, the thing for me that was so humbling is as someone who at a young age wanted to actually do this and was unable to, and you know what, let me not even say that. I didn't continue after I got hurt because I lost support of the people around me because they would, I don't know if everybody realized how real it actually was until I couldn't fucking walk. That, that kind of put a <laughs> lot of things in perspective for a lot of people, except for me. Cause I was, I was going to keep going. I'm like, no, I'm What the fuck? I'm, I'm 20. I re- rehab and I'll get better. And I'll, you know, that's the fucking do it. Like I'm, and <laughs> you know, I just wasn't, I, I wasn't willing at that age, I guess, to, to really put aside what other people were saying to pursue what I wanted to pursue. And it's a decision that I've had to live with for, you know, 20 years now. And I've come to terms with that decision within the last like five years. So, you know, I was mad at a lot of people, including myself for a very long time, because I wish I would not have done that. But in retrospect, it's probably the best decision that I ever had. So having to see him go through that over the last couple of years just brought back all those feelings for me. And I had to deal with it at a much younger age where I wasn't as mature as he was. But we kind of still were feeling the same things It validated a lot of the things that I was feeling. And I think I told you guys, like I watched the first two episodes back to back. And just listening to him talk and seeing what he did, I was like, fuck that. I could take some bumps in my basement. So I pulled out my, my daughter's mat on the floor and I was like, I can do it. And that took like, you know, maybe 10 or 15 back bumps. And I got up after every one and I was feeling good about it because I'm, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to say nothing until tomorrow, though. Let me see how my back feels <laughs> in the morning. And I woke up in the morning and it was like nothing happened. So... I told my wife what I had done and she was like, what do you mean you took bumps? What, what, what are you talking about? Like she forgot all the terminology. Like she was never a wrestling fan ever. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I, I broke the, the mat out in the basement and I took some bumps and she was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You shouldn't be doing any of that shit. You can't even 
walk sometimes. And I was like, listen, did you watch The Undertaker's documentary? No, <laughs> you weren't there. You don't know what he had to do. So I wanted to see if I could do it. So <laughs> You would have so, been. <laughs> no, so we watched it and I don't remember what, what, I think he was just taking bumps. And Zach turned to me and he goes, I bet you $10 this is what Lewis saw and did those bumps on the, on his, in his and basement. I, before, I can tell you what it is. Before you even, before you even say it, let me guess it. Let me guess when it was. It was when he when he bought that damn thing that that whole gym and put the ring together and he yep. was doing the video for Vince. Yep. And he took the camera and he looked in the camera and he said, um, "I'm not as good as I once was, but I can be as good once as I ever was." And that's all it took for me. And I was like, "Oh, I can fucking do this again." I, yep. Because I, I, we were watching it and when they first show him taking the bumps and then coming off the ropes and everything. I said, I guarantee you, Lewis saw this and was like, I can do it. I guarantee you I can do it. I'm a lot younger than Undertaker. I know I can take some bumps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I was about to do a fucking elbow drop from the couch onto the mat. Like, I was fucking pumped, bro. You don't understand. It's ready. ready. I'm like, I was about to call my daughter. Where's your jump rope? Let's tie that shit up. I need some ropes to bounce off of. <laughs> But I, I mean, that I think that was the part of it that surfaced a bunch of emotion that I haven't felt in a very long time because I've, mm-hmm. I've kind of come to terms that it ain't going to happen. I'm fucking 43. It's not going to happen. But what I really enjoyed about the documentary is what my first impression was. Like, who the fuck is this guy sitting in the chair and why does he sound like that? I've never heard the undertaker's actual voice oh really yeah so when i heard it i was like it's like if you watch the walking dead and you hear the uh, i forget the guy's name that does rick, rick. When, when you hear him talk in his accent you're like wait a minute it's not fucking rick oh, Grimes. That's some heard dude. Him. it's the same thing with kane when kane talks you're just like yeah, what is this exactly. but yeah i've heard the undertaker talk before before all of this so no, I, I've, I've never, that part i wasn't surprised i've about. never heard it like you know i've heard randy savage talk may he rest in peace and he sounds yep. the same it's like listen to dmx they sound the same in character <laughs> but to hear the undertaker's voice was quite quite amazing for me and it it, he's got a very like calming demeanor Mm -hmm. yeah it's a very it's a very jovial he seems to have a very jovial personality which is completely contrasted from what he's played for 30 years exactly exactly um for me like one of the parts that i was glad to see was when he walks into the meeting room because it wasn't like a boardroom it was oh, a meeting the NXT and it's a bunch of bigger guys just like him and like uh what's his face priest whatever yeah. what's damien priest damien priest um keith lee mm-hmm. all these big guys and he's sitting there and he's like don't be afraid to fly don't be afraid to jump off the top rope don't be afraid to do this this is how this works and i'm like that's right you you give back to the community like i i like seeing that because i i hate when somebody's too good to be like i don't need to teach let them learn how i learn let them come up how i come up you know and there's there's a few guys that that tend to do that 
but I like that he's like, no, no, no. Let me sit down and tell you how a big guy moves like this, and mm-hmm. let me see what you've got. And he gets in the ring with them, and I was like, that's that's dope. That he's, you know, that down to earth. That he's like, I'm gonna help the next people come up. Yep. Yeah. But apparently he's always been like that because John Cena, Roman, they all Chris talk. Jericho. Yeah, they all talk how he McFoley. Mm-hmm. They all like are like, oh no, he definitely made us look great out there when we weren't like even close to being great. And then how hard he is on himself when he doesn't do yeah. great. Like the match with Roman um and him. And he's like, Roman deserved better than that. And I'm like, damn, that's like, you know, that's deep. You know what I'm saying? Like, instead of, because you have to remember, he's the one that's been around for forever and a day. He could have easily been like, what the hell are you doing? Why the fuck did he fuck that up? Like, you should have been able to do this. You know what I'm saying? But instead, he was like, we both kind of had fucked up moments. But then he ends it with Roman deserved better. And I'm like, damn, that's that's dope. You know what I mean? Like, well, you, I agree. I, I think that the most telling story for me listening or having watched all five of those episodes mm-hmm. is the conversation and interaction that he had with with Randy Orton. It was the oh, was it even on there? I might be thinking of something else. Anyway, I'm going to say it. Fuck it. it huh? This is this is just something that encapsulates to me who, who The Undertaker was. When the first time that the two of them wrestled, they they went and Undertaker let Randy Orton do all kind of shit. And when they went to the back, the minute that they hit the back, you know, Vince was like, what the fuck? You, you let him get too much offense or something to that effect. No, that was in the documentary because yeah, I know what right? you're talking about. Yeah. And Undertaker's response was, well... I gotta make the kid right, so mm-hmm. this is yeah. this is what the business is about. And he, yeah. it, it was almost as if he was trying to teach Vince McMahon, who's been in the business way longer, yeah. how this works. But that's who he was. He is the guy that gives back. If you look mm-hmm. at all the people that he's wrestled, he has not only put them over, but they stayed over for the most part. Yeah. So you know, I, I thought that that was probably the most telling thing about who he was mm-hmm. that and I, I, I know for me when they showed the other wrestlers that talked about it John Cena and, mm-hmm. and you know Ric Flair but not so much him but more or less like Batista especially you can you get a real sense of the sincerity and when they're talking and respect that they have for entertainment, especially Batista, like you, you would have thought Batista was his kid the way he was talking, idolizing him, and the way he looked seemed like he looked up to him. You know, the one thing that I that I do want to talk about because they touched on it, but they didn't they didn't really go into depth the way that I would have wanted them to. But I think they still covered it pretty well because I think they don't want people talking about it is the streak and how it came to an end. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I I thought that having watched that, I have a... I mean, I kind of, I kind of understand why they did it, but I have a better understanding as to why that happened that way. The concussion? The concussion? No, 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 no. Just the... The, the, the match had already been determined before the concussion. I understand why that decision was made 
for Brock to end the streak. I get it more after watching that than I did when I watched the match. Elaborate. Yeah, enlighten us. There was nobody else before except one person that could have done that and it would have made sense. If you look at all of his previous WrestleMania opponents and even the ones after, there was nobody else. None of them would have made sense. The only one that would have made sense would have been... Uh, Diesel. Ed, edge. <laughs> no, Edge. And the one of the reasons why it didn't happen, I came to find out, was because Edge was like, no, nah, doesn't make sense. I don't want it. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, he was another one that spoke very, very highly. highly. Right. Mm -hmm. So who better to end that streak other than the fucking guy who could legitimately destroy everybody in the locker room. Nobody else. Mm, I guess that makes sense. And and I think the, per the, the, the perfect analogy for that is Brock Lesnar ended the streak, so now it becomes who's going to beat the guy who ended the streak. And uh. look at the Shield, for example, right? All three members of the Shield wrestled Brock Lesnar. Only two of them beat him, and those two are still with the company. The other guy's not. True. Yeah, but the other one's making a name for himself at the other. <laughs> yeah, but still, it's the it's the point though. He's making a name. He's making him his name for himself down here after being up here. Yeah. And and I mean, you could argue he was a name before he got there. But True. even when he was there, there was no comparison as to where he was with the other two guys. Seth Rollins is still doing what he does and he's versatile in what he can do and still works the same. And whenever Roman decides to come back, they're just going to fucking throw championships at him. So I, I don't know if there was if there was anybody else that could have taken that and it made sense. And I, I, I already came to peace with it a while ago because there's nothing we can fucking do about it now. <laughs> um, and I was not happy about it when it first happened. I, you know, mm. I didn't think it was, I thought it was an error. Um, I thought it was a mistake. I thought that the fucking ref counted too fast. Everything that I can fucking think of to try to save the streak is what my mind was thinking. And it yeah. took, it took some time for me to process that. Like we're conditioned to the Undertaker winning at WrestleMania. Yeah. So... Yeah. Of course, that's how we're going to react. That's how they wanted us to react. And then I had to start going from there and have to start thinking about it. And I still wasn't happy about who they chose to do it. I just understood why they why? chose him. And I think after watching this, I understood it even more. You know, I, even Undertaker said it. He is not around forever, but the business will be. So he had to pass it to someone. And that's yeah. who right. he chose to pass it to. Yeah, I just liked seeing like the old school stuff, the stuff that I grew up on, and then they Hell showed yeah. the pallbearer, and the kids were like, "Who's that?" And I went, "Pause. Let me tell you about the pallbearer." <laughs> like I was all about it. Like I paused it and I told them like what 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 they what he did and what the whole gimmick was and everything. And they were like, "That's cool." And then in my head, I'm like man maybe we should start having like a throwback thursday and start watching like older matches and and stuff yeah because 
I mean, that kind of stuff isn't just, it's it's not done anymore, you know? The casket matches, like, yeah, they had it at um, Saudi or whatever, but at Crown Jewel is what it's called now. Right. But man, having those casket matches where like you always waited for, you know, the motherfucker to end up in there and him close. Waiting for people to get buried. Yeah, like it was, it was like, great. Oh, yeah. you're not just going to get thrown into a casket and then rolled out. You're going to get thrown into a casket and buried. Yeah, yeah. It was it was great. Um, so seeing all those old matches, too, was kind of, like, super cool. It was like, oh, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Like, <laughs> you know. And then, you, you, and then there's things that you forget, and you're like, oh, my God, how did I not, like, remember all of that, like, um, when he goes up to John Cena and he's like, man, I'm like, oh yeah, he yeah. did do that, as didn't the, he? As the American badass, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. The guy- oh, and that's the other thing too, when they showed him coming up as the American badass with the motorcycle and, and Jana was like, how long has he had that bike? And we were like, well, he's gone through a couple of personas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Still the Undertaker, just different variations. Yeah, just of, different yeah. iterations of it. Yeah. You know that I think that was a bold move too to to stay the Undertaker but move into this biker badass type the of brawler character and th- it, I mean it's it was a huge change yeah and, and I'm not I'm not gonna lie I didn't like it at first you know I I think there were a lot I was one of those too I was like I don't know about this but he made it work. I think I bought it. I bought it 100%. I was like, oh, this fucking makes sense. Like, what else is a dead man gonna fucking use to get around other than a motorcycle? Like, for me, it just, it kind of clicked. It, like, made sense. You know, like, duh. A horse. (laughs) I'm like, duh, you know. He wears black leather. What else is he gonna... It's a motorcycle. Like, it makes sense. I, I mean, I still... I still remember the first fucking time that he came out at that Survivor Series in like 89 I think it was I, I, I can't remember the year and 19, yeah, I think it was 1990 90? yeah something like that and I remember it I because rem- he was like a mystery partner and he came out and I'm like who the fuck is this guy he looks huge he made and he's his monstrous debut. he made his debut at Wrestlemania 7 March 24th 1991 against who Jimmy Superfly Snooker. No, oh, that was after Survivor Series. This is that's it his, says that's his first WrestleMania match. It says who was Undertaker's first opponent. Uh huh. That was yeah. That was his first opponent, like on singles at WrestleMania. But his debut was a five-on-five Survivor Series match. Let's see. It was him and DiBiase. Talk talk amongst yourself while I double check this fact. Um. <laughs> It was him and DiBiase and Honky Tonk Yeah, it was the... Yeah, I remember that. But, yeah. um... Let's see. He fucking see. buried those dudes. All of them. He was like, mm-mm. You know what it is. You know why he did it, right? Because when he originally came out, yes, he was tall and light complexion, purple eye shadow, and... uh <laughs> But the one thing people overlook is he is a ginger. So he's... Not only the Undertaker, but he is soulless. <laughs> soulless. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, go, here it is. Okay. You go back and look at those old pictures. He is 
he is red-headed. So there's a little tidbit here that confused me because uh-huh. it says he made he signed in WWE October 1990. Mm-hmm. He made a debut as Kane the Undertaker mm-hmm. at a taping of Superstars in November 19. Mm-hmm. But that was an official on, his official on camera debut was November 22nd 1990 Survivor Series mm-hmm. yeah and that's and that was only known as the Undertaker so he right. dropped the Kane part <clears throat> which I which I always found funny because they found a way 10 years later to bring the fucking Kane name back yeah um, and I I was one of the few people when they did that who remembered that he was Kane I the Undertaker and I, oh, damn, I don't remember who the hell I had this conversation with back then. And they were like, no, he wasn't. And I was like, all right, whatever, dude. I'm telling you, he was Kane the Undertaker. Um, um, but <clears throat> what a fucking debut. Like, they don't do it like that anymore. And, they and don't. that is the theme of this whole fucking documentary. They yeah. don't make them like that anymore. No, yeah. because you have a factory called NXT that pumps them out. So every year you get your new fresh lineup of GI Joes to play with. I wouldn't with. say every year. No, the problem is, is like even the people in there now, it's just like okay, they're good, but are they legendary? Like that's the that's the big thing. Like, are we really gonna remember the Messiah gimmick? Who? Like, well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you'll like, remember Shield. Okay, we'll remember Shield, but it's not The Undertaker. We'll remember the Shield, but it was a three-man team that came and did this long-ass walk from the top of the fucking stadium to the ring and then fought, and that was it. Undertaker was, or is, excuse me, because he's not dead. Undertaker is a 6'3"? 6'3", right? That's how tall he is? Uh. 6'3 or 6'4? Oh, and never mind. I'm lying. 6'10. Six, ten. Six, God six, damn ten. it. I thought he was closer <clears throat> to 6'7. He is 6'10, 309 pounds. And this man did things no other man his height has done. He has flipped. He has had people way shorter than him, quote unquote, flip him. Like, you don't they, there's nobody like that like okay baron corbin tends to do that but baron corbin no isn't at the caliber at all and he's not one it's been known that he's not one to play well with others behind the scenes well i think the thing you have to consider it is you're losing a lot of that generation of wrestler they're they're going they're slowly you know, retiring and moving on. Uh, some are becoming behind the scenes managers and producers and things of that nature. Whereas you have all new generations of wrestlers coming in now that haven't had time to establish and create those characters and make memorable matches. It, it, and it's and it's a shame because growing up and being a part of the Attitude Era and seeing great matches with like Chris Jericho and oh my god why am I blanking Chris Jericho and then seeing tag matches with Farouk and JBL and 
the Dudley Boys and the Hardys and uh, Edge and Kristen. You've got you've got all these memorable characters that now you're looking at and you don't even realize it's been 20 years and they're memorable because of what they did then mainly not what they're doing now with the exception of undertaker i was gonna say but that doesn't apply to undertaker which once again proves why he's who he is and proves why why he's that much better than everybody else in my opinion because he literally went out his way like who has ever been able to say came to vince told him this is what i wanted I'm going to win. I'm going to write off. And this is my end of the story and gotten it. Shawn Michael, you asked. That's when Undertaker should have hung it up. He even said that would have been the perfect match for him to go out on. Shawn Michaels retired with a win. He didn't retire with a win. He didn't need to retire with a win. That's what I'm talking. That's what I'm talking about. He, but he went out on his own terms. He didn't chase anything. When he was done, he was done. He had two matches with the Undertaker. That's it. He knew it. Okay, but the Undertaker still retired on his own terms is what I'm trying to say. Like, I'm trying to say, like, retired, done, finito. He was like, here's how I want it. And I don't think Shawn Michaels is I, I think the only, on the level of Undertaker. I, I think they're the only two that got it on their own terms. I think Triple H is, is still chasing it, which is, oh, yeah. you know, and, and he, he wants it. I think he knows that he might not be able to do it. Austin certainly didn't get the clothes that he wanted. You know, he just accepted what he needed to accept and he moved on and he's doing great. Rock? Mm. Yeah, but that's what I'm trying to say because Zach was like, well, you know, you're thinking of all these people from 20 years ago and that's all you remember is the stuff from 20 years ago, but that's not true because, well, I mean, with the exception of Undertaker, that's not true because he's doing, he did shit now and he ended it his way now. We're not talking about his retirement 10 years ago. We're talking Mm -hmm. about his retirement now. So his, his legacy just, you know, kept going up until 2020, right? Cause that was one of the, yeah, April 2020. Um, You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we're talking about shit that he did 20 years ago, but we're still talking about shit that he did April 2020, like, you know what I mean? Well, I think April 2020 was the highlight of what he's done or the highlight of what he's been chasing. If he would have ended on any of the matches before, it wouldn't have been that good. And I don't think anybody, including himself, disagrees with that, which is why he stuck, stuck around to do the little bit that he was doing left and give back as as much as he could he's he's right that match with roman reigns was not good that match in saudi with the tag team was not good that goldberg match i i want to forget that it even happened yeah Um, dude when they kept replaying him landing and i'm like why why do we need to see this 10 times like i got it the first time i know it's horrible um so i don't know if any of those performances would have done him any justice. But I do think that all of those things do apply to him, but not from the aspect that you're remembering what he did 20 years ago, because his legacy is going to be here long past us. Yes. But what's what has been missing in wrestling altogether is the ability for the talent to tell a story. And that's not what they're doing now. 
they're going out and they're doing the super kicks and the flips and they're doing all this stuff, but they're not telling a story, which is why this whole thing with Randy Orton and Edge resonates with me because it's telling a story from a story that happened 20 years ago because these guys can do it and they don't have guys that can do that anymore. <clears throat> you know, there's only, there's only a handful of guys in my mind that can probably tell a good story but they don't settle them down enough to be able to tell a story, to be able to have this type of history. They could have done something similar, even though a lot of people don't like Sami Zayn, they could have done something similar with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. That could have mm -hmm. been a match that happened twice a year at WrestleMania and SummerSlam, and you keep flipping them face to heel, face to heel, face to heel, and they could have wrestled forever. And they would have had that story the best friends that can get together sometimes but sometimes they kick the shit out of each other yeah yeah you know and, and i don't love seeing stories. kevin owens wrestle yeah exactly and he is the, he's a guy that can tell a story he talks and he's telling a story yeah yep. you know he's great on the mic <clears throat> absolutely just the fact that the man taught himself english is amazing to me so yeah i forgot that i yeah. always forget that because he's he you know like there's no uh accent or anything so it always throws me off when when that's a reminder mm -hmm. like the one the one thing that this documentary put in perspective to me is all wrestling right now needs to push the reset button they need to push yeah. the reset button they need to rethink now that they've got time to look at their talent and look at even the ones that aren't there. It's not like people just stop showing up. People are afraid to come out of the house. They don't want to get sick. Yeah. And I, and I dig it. And I think they need to look at the talent that they have and start reevaluating what they want from these guys. Because the story is they don't want anybody to be bigger than the business anymore. And I'm saying that with quotation marks. They don't want to have another Hulk Hogan, another John Cena or whatever. Which is terrible. I mean, they yeah. don't need that. We don't need, listen, we don't need another Hulk Hogan. Trust me. Well, no, Even no, the Undertaker I mean, didn't like, like Hulk Hogan, apparently, you know. No, but, but we need, that they're not, you know, pushing it or whatever. We need a generation of wrestlers to tell a story, not just jump around and do flips. And it's cool to see, and you can incorporate that into a really good story. But, I mean, there's just, there's no emotional attachment to a lot of the things that these guys are doing. Yeah, there isn't, and um, I hate that that stuff like certain moves are being called finisher moves because they're not finishers. Like back in the day, a finisher move you knew that they got their ass handed to them. Right. This was their end call, and that was it. But now finisher moves, everybody everybody kicks out of a finisher. There isn't I. I don't remember one where I was like, oh my God, like, bleh, you know what I mean? Because it's like, oh, this isn't, you know what I mean? So, and that's the other thing that I miss is that wow factor of, you know, the finisher. And I guess for me, it worked with The Undertaker because he had that moment where he gets to sit up and you're like, oh you can't kill a dead man like you know what i mean like exactly. you had that exactly. but everybody's doing it doesn't have that wow factor and he definitely had that wow factor for that because you you saw him laid out and you're like 
he's gonna sit up, he's gonna sit up. And it's still like taking a while. And then he mm-hmm. sits up and you're like, ah, and you, st- even though you anticipated it, it still is so cool it's to amazing. see. Even yeah. when, even when he's trying to sit up, but he struggles to sit up, like, you know, he wants to, but he can't quite get it. You're pushing for it. You're like, come on, do it. And <laughs> that is what that emotional investment is. What's missing right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I think uh, a good example of that is um, the other night, me and Lewis were playing WWE 2K20. Oh, don't remind me. I for, I, I blocked that out. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. The matches that didn't mess up on us. Were yeah, fun. right. <laughs> and the best thing about those games, I think, is a lot of times in the game, because the finishers are the power move, you don't see them until close to the end. Right. So when you were using Bray, when you did Sister Abigail, I was like, oh, because it it had impact. It was, you know, we we had wrestled and beat the shit out of each other, you know, uh, out of the other team, all the way up to that point. And then when you finally got Sister Abigail off and pinned, it meant something. Instead of, right. A lot of times, what they do now is. You see, you see a super kick, you know, every other turn off the, the ropes. So it's just like, uh, it's like, I'd love to see them come back and maybe slow the matches down a little bit. I'm not saying don't have high flying moves, uh, but maybe go a little bit more technical. You know, when right. the rival, that was one of the things that I did appreciate about, like when the, when, when we first saw the revival, I was not a big fan and I was just like, ugh. You know, and then the more that I've watched them and seen the technicality of how they set up moves and how they progress the match, I, I enjoy them a lot better now. When they do their finisher, it seems like most of the time it makes a difference and they win sure. due to it. So I, I agree with both of you guys where I'd like to see the impact of a finisher actually mean more again. And if somebody kicks out of a finisher, it's a big deal, not, oh, I expected that. Right. And and I think that was the difference with the with the tombstone. Like when you kicked out of it, it meant something. And you knew he was gonna win anyway. Yeah. He's just gonna keep spiking your fucking head until you didn't get up. And, and, <laughs> and you understood that that's what was gonna happen and you're like, Yeah, that's what you get. You know what I mean? You lay down and you take that pin. Yeah. 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 I mean, the man is beyond like legendary to me. Like, I mean it's it's amazing. Just the way he opened himself up, the way he yes. talked about his career, the way that you got mo- emotionally attached to him, to the injuries, to to his even his even Michelle McCool. Like I I was a fan of Michelle McCool when she was wrestling, mm-hmm. but to see her in this way and how attached she was to the career and how she got it because she understood it, and you know she kind of like tongue in cheek was like, "Yep, he's gonna do it again." And I mean, it was it was funny to yeah. watch. Yeah. But she was supportive in the fact, too. Exactly. I like when they showed them, I think it was like that, I, I guess it was like a WrestleMania week. Or, yeah, it was the week that he wasn't, Yes. Um, the WrestleMania that he wasn't wrestling, and they did the, the press week or whatever it is that they do, and her gear was out there, and he was like so happy that his daughter got to see his wife's gear and stuff yep. like that instead of 
you know, like, and I know sometimes it's it's done in fun, but it was cool not to hear him go, well, if you liked her gear, you should see mine. You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. Like he was like, I'm glad that she got to see what her mom did and what her mom was able to accomplish and her mom's belt. And I was like, that's yeah. dope. Cause you know, like even I, joke you know sometimes like that when when joseph does something with zach and i'm like you should see what i do you know what i mean because it's, <laughs> it's funny but it was nice for him not to to do that and, and oh, have well, the fun the tongue tongue and cheek stuff exactly um, not not to mention when they were doing that he even commented this is the first time i've got to see any of this yeah because wow. he's always so busy and then um I can't, oh man, what match was it? It was some, it was the one before they're out in the lake and um, she watched him do a live match. And uh, I, maybe it was the one with Roman, I don't know. But he goes, well, what did you think about the match? And she kind of didn't say anything. And I was talking about the daughter and the wife goes, she's upset that you beat whoever it was. Oh, John Cena. John Cena, okay, and he, she, he was like, oh, like you know, like all funny and stuff, and then and then the lake scene where he's like, "Are you yeah. happy that I beat AJ?" And she's like, "No, I like AJ." And he was like, "Well, I beat him anyway." And yeah, it was I'm like, glad you I know, beat him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm glad was, I beat him. Yeah. It was just, it was so cool to see him, yeah, be fun. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because he wasn't serious about it, like. He was just talking to his seven-year-old daughter, and it was so cool to see him be so down to earth and so lovey. Like I can't, I can't see a Ric Flair being like that. Like I see Ric Flair being like, "Go play with your nanny. I'm busy right now." Type of thing. I think that's kind of how he was. <laughs> you know, yeah. But to see him just be like, "I'm, I'm here yeah. for my children," like, mm -hmm. you know. And I had to look up how many kids he had. He has four. No, three, three yeah, daughters. Four, and a three son. daughters. Three daughters. One son. Oh, right. Three daughters and a son. Right. 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 Mm -hmm. And I tell, I think one of the things that, uh, like, I, I know that it's it's commonplace that wrestlers get hurt, they have operations, and then you know they basically uh, go into rehabilitation and come back out and raid wrestle again. It's kind of getting to see that. Uh, cycle throughout these five episodes was very intriguing, especially when you know when when uh, when they show him walking before mm -hmm. the operation, and he's talking about how he's going to have to have his hip replaced, and it's not his first one. This is the second one that he's had replaced. The visible difference in the way he moves, absolutely. You know, before and after the operation is amazing. Not to mention, didn't he walk out? same day yeah i think it was the same so day. they could catch a, mm -hmm. so he could catch a flight somewhere and i'm just i was just shaking my head going i can't fucking believe it yeah i can't walk that good after i eat dinner <laughs> <laughs> so you know seeing seeing that process and seeing him work his ass off to get back and you know to be there for you know for the company for vince and then you know, ultimately for the fans, yeah. I just I told Cat I said if I ever have the opportunity to, to meet him, I'm going to shake his hand and mm -hmm. say, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you. Absolutely, that the, the yeah. man brought so many fucking childhood memories. Um, I think the day that 
I watched the the last one where he said that he was co- he was comfortable not getting back into the ring and riding off into the sunset. Like I I got, I got like the feeling in my stomach, and I'm like, oh man. And I posted it. I I remember when he put the Ultimate Warrior in a casket, and I was a young kid. I thought the shit was real, and I cried for hours for hours because i thought the shit was real and you know it was during one of the uh the funeral parlor skits that he had and he put the ultimate warrior in the casket and he closed it and you could hear that you know he was scratching on the inside and i'm like what is going on and then when they opened it up you know the fucking casket is all torn up and the ultimate warrior is like all limp and not moving and i just you know I, I couldn't wrap my brain around what happened. It wasn't until years later I'm like, well, they probably had like an oxygen mask or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> what a um, fucking asshole I was as a kid. Um, no, no, it's 100%. Like you, like that's what it is. It's that magic of mm-hmm. thinking that shit is real. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's the magic of going the following week either not remembering what's happening because your memory is, you know, the size of a goldfish when exactly. you're young or just going oh thank god he's okay but why would he get back in the ring does he not remember what happened <laughs> like you know what i mean yeah. it's just the magic of it all and it feeling real um and then you know you get to a point where you start realizing the injuries and the shit that they put their bodies through you say you know like it's you have a hard time walking after dinner but like i wake up and it's snap crackle pop all my joints popping and i've never done anything close even remotely close to what these men and women do in the ring so can you imagine what what it's amazing they're feeling yeah it's amazing how they function doing what they do like exactly and then he the when he's getting ready for the surgery and he's got his hand up and it's like a permaclaw yeah and and his wife is like if you're waiting for him to, sh- to straighten his fingers don't because that's as far as they go and it's like right. a permaclaw and you're just like Jesus yeah like, man it's, it's, it's crazy. crazy it's absolutely insane well um, you know I, barring, oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say with that last match that last Wrestlemania match with AJ Styles being as good as it was mm-hmm. what what are you your guys favorite Undertaker matches? Oh. If, if you had to pick one. Oh, there is always only one for me. There is one Undertaker match that I will forever like have as my top favorite. And I got to talk to the other half of that that match in, in, in real life. And we had a whole discussion about it. And it's Mick Foley and the Undertaker's cage match. Hell in a cell. Um, Hell in a cell. Son of a um, bitch. <laughs> yeah. Is that is that yours? Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually got to talk to Mick Foley about it. Um, I talked to him when they had um last year, it was last year, they had released the 20, 20th or 21st anniversary behind the scenes uh compilation thing on WWE Network. Um, Mick Foley had taken a stage and he talked about the the whole match, everything. Everything. Yeah, like everything. And I had shown the kids and the kids were like, how how do you watch it? Because it's nothing was, nothing is that gross 
or that intense nowadays. So right. the kids yeah. were like, what is this? Like, we shouldn't be watching this. Um, and I met McFoley. And once I stopped crying, because I was crying when I met him. That is true. <laughs> it is 100% true. Once I stopped crying, I had told them um, how I, I made the kids watch the, the thing. And he was like, you know, Undertaker is one of the greats that you can get in there with. And um, he asked the kids what they thought. And, you know, the kids were like, it's gruesome. And he was like, yeah, it was. But what people don't see is like Undertaker's hair covering going, do we stop? Do we keep going? Do we stop? And Mick Foley's like right. concussed going, yeah, let's keep going. Fuck it. <laughs> that, that motherfucker's got one mode. Go. And that's yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. And he was like, and we, we did it. And, um, we try to sell it after that. And, you know, we, we both made the best of it, but it, he said, there's no way I could have done it with anybody else. Um, there's there's no way and he was like and it's not to take from anybody else but it 100% could not have done it with anybody else and he 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 kind of the way he talks about Undertaker it's like he owes his career to Undertaker mm-hmm. and then and I thought that was pretty cool but my yeah for 100 even before like I met McFoley 100% that Hell in a Cell was everything for me because they beat each other up and then some so that was mine um i think mine is definitely uh that is definitely up there on the list uh but for me i think it's undertaker versus hbk uh i always liked the heartbreak kid I, i i always thought Shawn michaels was hilarious because he was good on the mic, he was a good smart ass, he was a good heel, you know, he's a good performer, and then put him with Undertaker, who has all, all you know, a lot of the same attributes. It it was just an awesome WrestleMania moment, and I'm I'm glad I actually got to see it. Well, you know, my mine was going to be the the Hell in the Cell match too. It could still be just say your nah, take nah, on nah. it. <laughs> I don't want to steal your thunder. I don't want to copy you. I don't want to copy. I have a deep repertoire of <laughs> Undertaker matches. He so, does. He does. You know, while I think that the Hell in the Cell match is probably the most extreme shit that I had ever seen um, at that time. And for those, for those guys to do it was absolutely incredible. Um, mm-hmm. The one match that I always enjoyed was his second WrestleMania match against Jake the Snake Roberts. Mm-hmm. I fucking love Jake Roberts. He was I the love, fucking he's my man. Favorite. And even knowing what I know about him makes me like him even more. Um, what he went through and what he had been doing with the, you know, the, with the addiction and all that stuff, oh. and still being oh. able to perform at that level yeah. was unbelievable. And if he had, if he had probably been clean, he might have been a champion, a heavyweight champion. But he was just that guy to push you to to the next level. That's just who he was. And the fucking way that the lead up to that match, the psychology that they both had to do, I think. If, if anybody asked Undertaker, and I don't remember if they did about this particular match, he learned a lot about ring psychology from Jake the Snake Roberts. Because Jake Roberts, nobody 
can do ring psychology like that dude. A close second for me ring psychology wise, and this is well later on, was Eddie Guerrero. Because that guy was just amazing mm -hmm. um, at yes. getting the crowd in. And that's what Jake did. Jake got the crowd in all the time. And, you know, from the lead up from the snakes and him trying to help the Undertaker to the double cross that led to the match. Like, it was just fucking amazing. Yeah. And the match was good. Like, you know, he pushed Taker to the limit. He did. He teed him on the outside on the concrete. Like, it was just, it was a really good match. And, you know, it was a good, for me, kind of passing the torch type of match. Because, you know, that was the second WrestleMania match. We know Undertaker won this, you know, kind of how the street got started. So, um, what? <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, spoiler alert. <laughs> God, Lewis, you ruined everything. I ruined everything for the young kids. So, I mean, I, I thought that was probably one of the best Undertaker matches early on when he was like that Undertaker, the essence of the Undertaker with the round hat and the purple gloves and... I I love that. I thought that was that was fucking amazing. Yeah, with that, that was awesome really tie. With the yeah, with the striped tie and stuff. Yeah, that was good <laughs> shit, man. That was real good shit. I found a very interesting post in the social media world somewhere. Um, shortly after the Undertaker announced his ride off on the motorcycle. And it was a create your ultimate Undertaker match, right? So it's pick your Undertaker, first of all, which would be the original Undertaker and then kind of like the corporate goatee Undertaker and then the badass and then the guy they brought back for the last few WrestleManias minus the most recent one because it's kind of a hybrid, mm -hmm. right? So those are your four choices of Undertaker. And then okay. you've got six dream opponents, Sting, The Fiend, mm. Keith Lee, Drew McIntyre, Braun Strowman, Aleister Black. Those are your six choices. And then you've got four different matches to pick from. Hell in the Cell, Casket Match, The Inferno Match, and The Boneyard Match. Okay. Oh, Marry damn. one, kill one, fuck one, go. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, I don't like any of these options. <laughs> um, damn. Crap. You see, my biggest thing right now is I don't know which taker to pick. That's that's um, the hardest decision right there. It is, because I know the rest, but I just don't know which taker to pick. Can I start from the bottom? <laughs> sure. <laughs> However you feel comfortable. Thank you, because I'm having a difficult time picking <laughs> a taker. Um, so I'm going to go with Helen Cell. All right. I'm actually going to pick McIntyre. Okay. <sighs> and I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm trying to pick between the original, the OG, or the latest one. But the latest one is like so stiff. I want him to be nimble. I guess I'm going to go with OG. OG Undertaker. Okay. McIntyre, Hell in the Cell. It's a good pick. Zach, go. For me, it's going to be a. Uh... OG Undertaker. Get your own Undertaker. Lewis nope. got his own stuff. Get your own Undertaker. Nope. Dig into the ashamed. repertoire. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll, I I want to see OG Undertaker take on Bray Wyatt. And I would it's put the them. Fiend. Oh, no, no. That's the Fiend. That's not Bray Wyatt. Come on. 
Come on, man. We all know the biggest downfall to that character was because they call him the Fiend Bray Wyatt. It's not the same guy. Come on. It's not. Suspend your disbelief. That is the Fiend. Yes, I I know the Fiend, but he is hosted inside of Bray Wyatt. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, that, that was a good one. And then uh, it'd be a Boneyard match. All right. Because, you know, it, it falls in line with a lot of what Bray has done in the past where he's had uh, uh, Sister Abigail's uh, shed and the burning of that when when Randy decided, I'm going to burn down her house. What do you think about that, bitch? <laughs> so, yeah, that, that would be mine. OG, OG Undertaker, The Fiend, and a Boneyard match. All right. You know, I'm I'm gonna go a little sideways on this one. I'm gonna go with corporate ministry undertaker against Sting in a casket match. Oh, I like it. Only because yeah. I think that version of the Undertaker and that version of Sting existed at the same time. And I think that that is a match that would have made a lot of fucking money, and it's too bad they never got a chance to do it. Yeah. I it might not be too late, but that version of The Undertaker, will I don't think it'll ever exist again. And that was a fucking badass dead yeah. man. When he was talking normal, but still had that goth shit going on, and he was hanging people or crucifying people from the fucking Undertaker sign. Like, that was some, that was some good shit with the acolytes, uh, Bradshaw and, and Farouk. I mean, it was, it was good shit. And I think a casket match would be fitting for Undertaker versus Crow Sting. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't go wrong with APA. Come on now. I, seriously. So that that would that would be my ultimate Undertaker match. I think that would work out well. I like it. All right. Any, and, any, oh, go ahead. any other? I was going to say, is, you have a backup that you want to say? You know, actually, I think, I, a, I think a really good backup would be the American Badass versus Keith Lee in a cell. Get out of my head! That, That's exactly what I was thinking. That would be I'm good yelling because I can hear you. <laughs> that would be good shit. Because that, you know, that guy's a fucking a powerhouse. Yo, I, I love watching Keith Lee. You know, my original was Keith Lee instead of Drew McIntyre in the Hell in the Cell with the OG... Um, but then I was like, nah, I kind of like Drew McIntyre, you know, his fighting style. So I thought he would fit best in the, the Hell in a Cell type right. of thing. I love I love Keith Lee. Keith Lee is great. Yep. Um, I was glad that he was one of the ones in the meeting when the taker was like, y'all yeah. motherfuckers fly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. This is how you do it. Because that, that um, guy can move for a man that big. Yeah, yeah. So I was glad to see that. But I like Heath. But for me, I think McIntyre would do just slightly better in Hell in a Cell with OG Taker. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. And that's it. That's all we've got. Well, it looks like we wrapped up just in time because we're coming up on that hour mark. Yes, sir. Well, thank you guys very much for listening to this episode of jfw podcast we wanted to bring you guys some undertaker highlights and talk undertaker and we're glad you were here for it i personally want to say thank you undertaker you are the fucking man and i hope that 
generations to come look at your career and take some notes and do some real good shit because that's what you did for 30 years good shit thank you undertaker bird you are the fucking man and until next week peace out (laughs) peace